Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of the Potter's House in Virginia Beach. church with a worldwide vision for winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. We're a Pentecostal church affiliated with the Christian Fellowship Ministries. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. Give God praise for all that He is doing in our midst. What a wonderful opportunity we have this morning. God is so good. I want to uh, ask you to open up your Bible with me to book of Matthew chapter 4 have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 4. I want to uh, just put in a plug very quickly for our Bible reading program. If you have not yet joined us, it's a great blessing uh, to be uh, able to be reading together the same scriptures as a church. I find it, as a pastor, I find it very helpful uh, to know what God's people are reading in the Word of God. Uh, so that we can uh, minister through the Word of God properly. Matthew chapter 4, uh, if you're interested in, in finding out more about that, if you want to read along with us, it's through the Version Bible app on your smartphone. Uh, you can see me after the service if you wanted to get hooked up to that. So, uh, most of you will be aware of a very famous person who lived about 100 years ago. Her name was Helen Keller. And uh, after a devastating illness as a young child, I think she was three or four years old, she caught a virus. And uh, as a result, she went, uh, she was already blind, she was born blind, but then she lost her hearing as well as a very young child. And so as a result of being deaf and blind, can you imagine the challenges that that would confront in life? Uh, She had a very difficult childhood until a teacher took interest in her and began to work with her. Uh, And through many, many years of struggle and difficulty, this teacher named Ann Sullivan was able to teach her how to not only to read, to write, but Helen Keller eventually didn't let her her handicaps stop her from being a, a wonderful member of society, productive. She wrote books. She attended university. She traveled around the world. She gave speeches. It was an incredible thing. And uh, you ought to do some reading about Helen Keller because if you think you got problems, sometimes we can put it in, into perspective. But she had a quote that I want to zero in on this morning and think about with you. Somebody asked Helen Keller as she was an older woman, having all this amazing success and working through all of these terrible problems of, ha- of uh, being deaf and blind. And somebody asked her, Helen, what could possibly be worse than being deaf and blind at the same time? And this was her response. She said, the worst thing that a person could experience was to be able to have sight but have no vision. And what a powerful thought that is, that there are people who can see and hear perfectly, doing a lot better than Helen Keller did, 
And yet, we having physical ability to see, have zero vision for their life. And I believe this is not just a problem in the world in general. This is also a problem in the church and among many Christians. Lack of vision. It is The Word of God tells us that without a vision, the people perish. In other words, we are in great danger if we don't have vision for what God is doing, for what we are doing, and who we are becoming in Christ. Is it possible this morning that you and I, we can go through the motions, we can go through church services, we can even open our Bible, we can even fold our hands in prayer, we can do all these things, and yet we don't know why. We don't know what it's all leading to. And many people are failing to advance in their Christian walk. Many people are failing to break habits that are holding them back. And this is the reason because we lack vision. And what we're going to see in the scripture we're about to read is one of the first interactions that Jesus has with his future disciples. And in this very first conversation, it is not surprising to me that Jesus uses this opportunity to plant a vision into these men. And my prayer this morning is that there would be somebody here today that would recognize, you know what, I need a vision for my life. I need to see what's on the horizon when it comes to serving God. And I want to read this scripture with you, Matthew chapter 4, verse 18. Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. He called them. And immediately, everybody say immediately. Immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. I want to talk about a vision for fishing this morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity. God, I thank you for the people gathered in this, uh, in this house today. We're praying, God, for your spirit and your life. Lord, we pray for a vision, a heavenly vision that would descend upon each one of us. God, every one of us, we have a personal vision for ourselves. We have an idea of what we want to do. But God, help us to realize that there is a vision that supersedes our own. Help us to understand that there is a vision bigger than ourselves that you want to cast this morning into our lives. Help us to live according to the vision that you would give us and not our own. We thank you for all that you are going to do in Jesus' mighty name. God's people would say, amen. We're so glad you're here with us at the Potter's House today. And I want to speak about, first of all, the power of vision. As uh, the, in this illustration from, uh, from Helen Keller, you know, it, it's so powerful what a person is able to do if they can only have a vision for their lives. 
They say that when Helen Keller was in her youth, when she had lost her sight and her hearing, and before the teacher, Ann Sullivan, came to instruct her that she was more like a wild animal than, than a person. Because people looked at her and with great pity, they thought she could never be anything. She could never do anything. No doubt for her, such frustration without, without being able to see or hear uh, what kind of hope would she possibly have of learning or growing or advancing or doing anything that is productive? And yet all it took was the vision of a teacher that's, that thought to herself, this girl, yes, is in terrible condition, but she could be something more. That's the power of a vision. All that Helen Keller ever became, all of the inspiration that she ever provided started when a teacher looked at a wild animal of a young girl and said, I see something more. And that vision eventually got into Helen's own mind. That vision began to spark a future and a hope for her. And she became something far greater than anyone could have ever expected i want to uh i want to give you the idea this morning that perhaps there are a few spiritual helen kellers here this morning there are a few people here and you're looking at yourself you're looking at your life you're looking at your relationship with god and you are thinking what kind of uh, of hope could i possibly be to anybody Who do I think I am? I don't even deserve to be sitting here in church on Sunday morning. Listen, how many know the enemy loves to put those little lies in your ear? Who do you think you are? You're useless. You're you're scum. You're broken. You're uh, you're all kinds of mess. And what kind of hope could you ever have? I want to talk about the power of vision because... Vision, if we will embrace the vision that God has for us, it can change everything. It can change everything for you personally, for your family, for your church, for your community, for your nation, and ultimately for the world that you live in. What is vision this morning? Vision is the art of seeing what is invisible to others. You know, vision is the one thing that, uh, uh, as... If you have ever done any research into our military, the reason why uh, the United States of America still has a superior military than other nations of the world is because we have technology that we can see things other countries can't. The new F-35, the the new um, uh, uh, fighter plane that has been produced in the last few years, the reason this is all top secret, man, the reason why it's so much better is because it has the ability to see things over the horizon. It can locate and it can uh, sense and detect other airplanes long before those airplanes can detect it. Because it still has a tactical advantage, that's why it's the power of vision. Vision is being able to look at something ordinary and to realize there's a potential for something extraordinary. It's being able to look at a church like this and say, oh, no big deal. 
and to be able to look down the corridor of time with the possibilities of God and miraculous working power and say, what could it be in God? Vision is the ability to see a raw sinner addicted and bound to drugs or alcohol come into a church. How many know the gospel can change people? You know how I know that? Because it changed me. It's the power to look at somebody who's lost or broken or in a family situation and say, oh, no hope. But vision can look at that and say, hope. There is a possibility here. Jesus said that the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and hid. And for, uh, for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has, and he buys that field. Listen, did you hear what that said? A man who found a treasure hidden in a field? He said as soon as he found that treasure, he went home and he sold everything. You should not feel sorry for him. He wanted to sell it all. He wanted to give it all away because the treasure that was in that field, he saw it, it was hidden there, but he found it. And because he found it, he says, all the other possessions I have in life are worthless compared to this treasure hidden in a field. Jesus says, my kingdom is like that. My kingdom is the ability to find treasure in places where other people can't see it. Treasure in a people that the world has given up on. Treasure in children that other people don't want to be around. Treasure in disciples. It's the ability like an artist to look at a blank canvas and like Vincent van Gogh, man, he can see before he even starts, he can see the starry night painting. It's the ability of Michelangelo to look at a slab of granite and to begin seeing something more. That's what vision is. Vision is looking at a city like Virginia Beach. A city that's full of sinners. That's last time I checked. Still full of broken families. Yeah, a lot of good people. But a lot of good people on their way to hell. It's a, the ability to see your neighbors across the street smoking joints say maybe maybe there's a possibility there it's the ability to look at your own child and see the possibilities it's the ability like Ezekiel to look at a valley of dry bones and see something more it's what Jesus saw this day in our scripture as he's walking by the sea how many of you have ever walked by a lake or a river or and you've seen some fishermen, right? These guys usually don't look like much. Fishermen back then are just like fishermen today. They're just out having a good time. These men may be a little bit more because this was their trade. This was who they were. They were trying to make a living. But you know what? Fishermen are not known for being highly educated. They're not known for having great looks or abilities. If they had those things, they probably wouldn't be fishermen. But here they are. Jesus walks by the Sea of Galilee, and he sees fishermen, and he thinks to himself, these men 
can be something more. This person, this Peter, this Andrew, this John, this James, the world looks at them and says, ha, no big deal. But Jesus looked at them and he said, I see something more. He called Simon, called Peter, and Andrew his brother. As they cast the net into the sea. See, when you look at fishermen, what you see is what you get. They know their craft well. They probably thought that that was the pinnacle of their personal lives. They thought, it can't get any better than this. We've trained for years. We know what we're doing. We, can, we know how to catch fish. We know how to provide a living. We know how to, how to uh, ca- cast our nets, how to fix them, how to use the boats. We, we, they, they're fishermen. And the vision, if you were to ask them that day, what are you going to be doing in five years? What do you think they would say? I'm going to be fishing. If you would ask them, what will your children be doing 20 years from now? What would they say? Oh, they'll probably be fishermen too. And my daughters will be married to fishermen. That's, that's the vision that they had for themselves. How many of God's people find themselves stuck right there? They think that God could do nothing to improve and change their lives. What vision do you have for yourself in God this morning? Are you spiritually like a Helen Keller that can't see, cannot hear, can't sense, can't define any possibility that God has for you? Now into this situation, a visionless situation, Jesus enters the scene and he begins not just to have a vision for them, but he begins to share his vision into their lives. See, this is powerful. Verse 19, he says to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Now that's a very different lifestyle than being fishermen, isn't it? That's a very different way of life. And the moment that it would have come off of his lips and and sounded on the eardrums of those fishermen that day, if you were in their shoes, what would you be thinking? Yeah, right, come on. You want me to be some kind of a preacher? Look at me. I know how to cast a net. I know how to pull the fish in. I know nothing about the religious world. These were Hebrews, they they were Jews, they probably had some religious training, but these these are not men who had any inkling of ever trying to be in the will of God. But this is the first word that Jesus spoke to them. Think of that. He didn't come to them and say, listen, I've got so many wonderful things I want to give to you. If you'll just put $100, put your hand on the television screen. And if you send in your donation, I've got so many blessings to put in your life. He didn't do the televangelist thing, did he? He didn't tell them about how he was going to do all kinds of miracles for them, even though Jesus did. He didn't tell them about all the wonderful miracles that they were going to see. He didn't even tell them about all of the difficulties they were going to go through, right? All of the disciples ended up murdered and martyred for the Lord, except for John. 
They would all go through terrible trial. And Jesus didn't approach them with any of that, did he? The first thing that he says is, I'm going to change who you are. I'm going to change your vision for your future. If you follow me, your life is going to be radically different. Can I tell you that that has not changed in 2,000 years? You can follow your own path if you want to, but it's a dangerous one. Proverbs 3 says there's a way that seems right to a man, but it leads to destruction. Right? It leads to destruction. There's a way that we think we should be going, but it will ultimately lead to failure and disappointment. But there's also a way, if we will follow the Lord, that our lives will probably end up vastly different than we ever thought. If you would have asked me 20 years ago if I'd be standing behind a pulpit and preaching a sermon, I would have, I would have laughed in your face. I'm not a preacher. I barely even like going to church. But at that time, I didn't realize that there is a God in heaven and there is a Savior walking by my life and He says, follow me. And Jesus cast a vision into my life that changed me forever. What about you? Have you realized a vision from the Lord? Now, I know not everybody's called to preach, but some people are. Some people are called to follow the Lord to become fishers of men. And even if you are not called to preach, even though you're not specifically, and I, I know there's people out there who say, Pastor, I'm not called to preach, but... But, um, but I know that there, even though that's not the case, we are all called to be fishers of men, aren't we? Every single one of us. That means we're called to catch those who are bound and broken in this world. See, this illustration of being a fisherman, a fisher of men, in this illustration is all the glory of the gospel. What it means this morning is that we live in a lost world. Jesus, like a good fisherman, he knows how to attract people by the Holy Spirit, right? If you've ever been fishing, you know you've got to have some bait on there that's somehow kind of attractive. You know, if you've got the same worm on the end of your hook for half an hour to drown and turns sad and all nasty, you're not going to catch any fish with that nasty old worm, are you? You've got to take that nasty thing off of there. Put on a fresh wiggly one and put it back out. See, the fish, they need something interesting, don't they? They need something that's going to catch their attention. They need something. They need, they, need, uh, they need something that's going to lead them to take a bite. Take a bite. And I want to tell you, many Christians, there is nothing or very little that is attractive about the kingdom of God. What I mean by that is we can live our Christian lives and we can go to church, but when it comes to fishing for men, there is very little that the world would say, ooh, that's interesting. See, the intention, the goal the, the, that Jesus has in mind for us is to change us so that we could become attractive to the world. I'm not saying physically attractive. I'm saying that we should be people 
that carry something in our spirit wherever we go. That there's something about us that when life impacts or when things uh, 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 hurt us and when, when there's difficulties and circumstances, you know, that, that we don't lose our mind. We don't go to the, to the bar and get wasted. We don't go to the drug dealer and, and get plastered for six weeks because, you know, because I had a bad day. Instead, we lift our hands and glorify God and say, well, to God be the glory. When I have a job and when I don't. When the bills are paid and when they're not. To God be the glory. I'm not going to let it steal my joy. Because I have a God in heaven. And there ought to be something about that that is attractive to the world. With this one statement, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Jesus, he is casting a vision for them. His vision for their life. I love it because it's so clear. I love it because he already understands that they're fishermen. He he understands they know how to catch fish. But instead, guys, I'm going to make you fishers of men. Your interest will no longer be in the sea. But it will be on the land. It will no longer be just for making a living for yourself. It will be for impacting people for time and for eternity. I wonder, can you catch a vision today? I wonder if the Lord would repeat His vision for us. You know, I believe that God still has vision for us. I believe that Jesus still has a vision, not just for us together as a church, not just a vision for me as the pastor and my family, but I believe God has a vision for you in your life that applies to what you are doing right where you are today. Some people say, well, pastor, you know, maybe maybe one day, you know, down the road, a long ways away, you know, if God changes a hundred thousand things about me, then maybe eventually I could possibly think about that vision. No. Can I tell you that this vision was so inspiring to these men that they dropped their nets day one with all of their problems, with all of their flaws, with all of Peter's foot-in-mouth disease. He said, you know what? Maybe, maybe my life can change. That's the power of a vision. I have a vision for this church, you know. I wouldn't be here for ten years unless I had a vision for this church coming up on our 10th anniversary here. Can you believe that? But I would not remain here unless God had put a vision in my heart for this congregation. My vision is that our church can make an impact in our community. My heart, my vision for this church is that there be men in this place who would rise up and take positions of leadership and discipleship. That there would be people beyond myself who see visitors and whose eyes are open to the possibilities. I have a vision that one day we could be having water baptisms every month on the first of the month. We'll get our little pool out. We'll put it up right here once a month. No more once a year. I have a vision 
that we can become a place where evangelism is happening, where discipleship is happening, where church planting is taking place, where people are rising up to take their place in the kingdom of God. You know, every time I walk into that door, or that door, there's a little sign on the side that says maximum occupancy 294. And I have to be honest, sometimes I just chuckle to myself. (laughs) Could you imagine if there was 294 people in here? That would be a very packed room. But that would be revival, man. I could see it. Can you? I would love to have the problem of not enough space and not enough nursery workers. I would love to have the problem of, oh, we have too much money coming in this past, this month, Pastor. What are we going to do with it? Follow me, Jesus said, and I'll make you fishers of men. It's a vision for discipleship. You know, when I got saved in the Chandler Church, I, I got saved when I was 16 years old. And I didn't really get serious about it until I was 17 years old. And, but I, I can remember in the Chandler Church, there was just there was this atmosphere of discipleship. I mean, we would come together. There was a group of young people within the church that all we wanted was to live for God. All we wanted. And I got caught up in that. I had friends that we spent time and we didn't go... You know, yes, we had fun. We we went bowling and we did some entertaining things. But that was not the focus of our life. The vision that we had from the very beginning was, God, what can I do to serve you and your people? God, how can I improve this church? How can I serve my pastor? How can I make life better for him? When I was 19 years old, I got married to my beautiful wife for the first time and the last time. And we went to a conference. Some of you have been to conferences. We saw a video on a Thursday night. And I can remember so clearly, it was, it was a crappy video. But it, all it was was somebody was holding a camera. This was back in the VHS days, right? One of those big ones. And somebody was recording a VHS in uh, in Tanzania, and it was Pastor Scott Grabowska and his wife, and it was one of those old report videos where it's kind of awkward, and you know the the camera's not good, so he's standing there giving a report, and Carrie's there. But you know what I saw in that video? I saw all of these disciples. They had couples standing next to them. They had little children, Tanzanian children, laid out in front of them. I don't know what it was. But God used that to cast a vision into my life. And I remember that night, God dealing with me so powerfully, He said, that's going to be you one day. That's going to be you. It was almost like Jesus was walking by me and say, follow me! And I will make you into that. And I had so many problems. I had so many perceived uh, reasons why I could never do that. Just like we all do. But I want to tell you this morning, 
one of, the, one of these days, God is going to tap on your shoulder. Jesus will walk by your life and he'll say, follow me and I'll make you fisher of men. Let me close by talking about sacrificing for vision. I want you to think about with this with me as we close this morning. Think about for just a moment. This is before all of the amazing miracles that Jesus did. This account that we read, this is before his ministry has even started. This is before he walked on water. This is before he multiplied the loaves and the fishes. This is before he turned water into wine. This is before he opened deaf ears and gave sight to the blind. This is before all of that, right? Jesus had not done any miracles, at least publicly, that we know about. Everything that these disciples are going to see in the next three years, can you imagine what they saw? Aren't you envious sometimes? Man, I wish I could have seen what they saw. But I want to tell you, everything that they saw in the next three years depended on this moment right here. Think about that. All of the miracles, all of the blessings, all of the people healed, all of the amazing sermons that he preached, all of the messages that he taught, every single ministry that Jesus is about to to display on the earth, it depends on this moment whether they're going to respond to Jesus or not. The only way that they're going to be a part of it, the only way that they're going to witness this, is if these men could gain just a, a glimpse of this vision for themselves. Here's what I'm saying. We know that Jesus had a vision for them. That's the hope of the gospel, right? That's the reason God sent His only Son, Jesus, to die for us. We're sinners but God sees something more in us. We're glad for that. But I'm not preaching about God's vision for you. I'm preaching about your vision for you. Anne Sullivan, the teacher, she looked at, at, at little Helen Keller and thought to herself, oh, wouldn't it be amazing if this girl could learn a few things and could learn how to read. But that's one thing. But it's a very different thing when Helen Keller grabs a glimpse of that vision for herself and says, maybe, maybe I could be more. Listen, it is not enough for Jesus to walk by, tap on your shoulder and say, I've got a vision for you. It's also not enough for the pastor to look out and say, I've got a vision for you, for you, for you, vision for you, for you, for you, for you. None of those things will ever take place unless... Somebody here can catch a vision for their own lives. What could I be if I simply followed Jesus? What miracles would I see? What nations could I go to for the Lord if I would follow? The call to follow is not glamorous. You think about that. Follow me. That's what sheep do. You're not going to make a great name for yourself by following. But you will see incredible miracles. You'll see them in your life. And then you'll see them in the lives of people around you. It says in verse 20 that immediately. Everybody say it again. Immediately. They didn't have to think about it. 
They didn't waver. I love it. Immediately. It's, sometimes it's like pulling teeth, man, as a pastor. Uh, what do you think, bro? Do you think you could, uh, you think you could, you know, teach a Bible study or preach a sermon or, uh, you know, lead an outreach? And man, it's like, it's like trying to herd cats. I thank God for faithful people. But see, I've got a vision that other people don't have. It says immediately, forget these nets. I'm following you, Jesus. Immediately. Think about what those nets represented. It represented their very lifestyle. Their income earning potential. It'd be like it'd be like you giving up your your nine to five job. I'm not telling anybody to do that. Just don't get me wrong. Somewhere there's gonna be a call to sacrifice. If we're going to follow Jesus. Somewhere it's going to mean leaving something behind. Think about it with me for just a moment. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. They could not do this successfully while they still had their nets. There are some people who are not following Jesus today because they won't give up the nets. You remember the story of Elijah. Elijah came by with his mantle, and it's time to cast the mantle onto his servant, Elisha. And the Bible says that as he cast this mantle, this vision for his future ministry to Elisha, the Bible says that Elisha threw a party. You remember the story. He was so excited to become the follower of Elijah, it said that he took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. This would be like taking your F-350 and crushing it and burning it to make a barbecue. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them, boiled their flesh, and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he arose to follow Elijah. There's got to be a sacrifice to follow the Lord. Psalm 119.60, David says, I made haste. I did not delay to keep your commandments. Galatians 1.16, the Apostle Paul, he says, That I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood. See, there is an urgency involved here. If we're not careful, how many know years can pass by And the call to follow Jesus can fade. Okay, Jesus, I'll be with you soon. Let me take care. Let me go and bury my father, one man said. Let me go and test out my team of oxen. Let me go and and we have all of our, Lord, let me first. If we're going to become what God wants us to be, there's got to be somewhere in your life a decision to turn. To leave behind the nets. Some of you have nets of comfort. Oh, pastor, it's too cold. Pastor, it's too hard. Pastor, that would make my life uncomfortable. Yeah, how about Jesus? He was pretty uncomfortable on the cross. Some of us have nets of security. If we feel we give them up, we leave them behind. Nets of familiarity. 
I believe this morning that God has a great vision for us, for you, for your family, what you could be and what you could do in Christ if you would leave behind your nets. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes for just a moment. We thank you again for listening. Do you want to receive updates from our church in your inbox? Make sure to sign up at our website, vbph.org. If this message has been a blessing to you, would you consider supporting our ministry with a generous donation? Please visit our website at vbph.org and scroll down to find the Give button at the bottom of the page. We would be so grateful for your support. Until next time, love God and love people.